Ah, hello, friend. Come on in. Take your seat. Greg has your tea ready. Officer Nightingale has brought me the book, and Officer Keith has fluffed the pillows. I, of course, have a few announcements. How about we begin with our sponsors? Evan, if you would be so kind. Yeah, totally. The Writer's Room is sponsored in part by Level Up Dice, providers of boutique semi-precious stone, metal, wooden, glass, and resin dice for all your favorite TTRPGs. To support the podcast and get it set for yourself, use the unique link in our bio. That's bit.ly forward slash L-U-D writer's room. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash L-U-D writer's room. Level up dice. Luxury at your fingertips. The writer's room is also sponsored in part by 10 Quills Dice. Tired of handpicking your D10s out of your sets of seven? So is our narrator. Handcrafted by Zoe herself, you can find them everywhere on social media at 10quillsdice, as well as 10quillsdice.com. 10quillsdice. Narrate the games in your life. Thank you. That is an amazing tagline. Speaking of that, as of the posting of this episode, my shop is now open. And so you can find all my wares on 10quillsdice.com. There are a few sets available and even some commission spots. And speaking of dice, new bone sets will be coming out just in time for the next episode. So keep a weather eye on June 16th. Which also happens to be the day that I'm running the live game on Third Floor Wars' YouTube channel. So come by and check that out as well. Especially if you need more 7C in your life. I know I do. (laughs) Now, speaking of 7C... Let us continue the story, shall we? I surely didn't forget where we were. We just finished the heroic moment with Jesse saving Roderick. Let's pick back up right after that, shall we? Article 27. Rain Before Wind. The camera begins to dissolve from black. And where we find ourselves is at port, flying high over the docks. We swoop down as we pass by several ships that have their mainsails stowed, and we fly directly over to La Rosa Blanca, and we land on the railing. And as the camera switches viewpoints from a seagull to view the rest of the deck, we're slowly panning and watching the crew of La Rosa Blanca work, while Hawthorne is tending to some planks or perhaps polishing the railings, we pan over to see Roz and Charles. Charles is seated on a stool in front of a small barrel. On that barrel is a board with several pieces on top of it, all carved out of driftwood, or perhaps ruined planks from La Rosa Blanca's latest adventures. Roz is seated across from him, but not on a stool, on several strands of rope that make up the hammock seat he is sitting in and they appear to be playing chess. And Mama Coco is nearby, taking up frayed bits of rope and beginning to coil them. We also find Boots up top here, with several sailors we don't recognize. Boots appears to be checking the food that is coming on board, making sure it's up to his top-notch standards. The camera also catches a flash of white that shoots from one side to the other, We pan quickly over to the seagull, who is being harried by a very upset Luciana. 
Hawthorne looks up sharply to see the exchange. That's right, Lucy, you keep those rats with wings far away from my beautiful ship. I love the image of Charles walking up to Mama Coco and being like, where are Waylon and Jesse? Oh, you know, they went out to grab some breakfast and take care of a few errands. And we both come back with like a stab wound and a concussion. <laughs> Mama Coco pinches the bridge of her nose tightly. I take it breakfast didn't go well. I wanted my eggs scrambled. They gave him sunny side up. So you decided to scramble his egg just because he got your egg order wrong? Oh, no, I headbutted him because they called me an asshole. Oh, I see. You made him eat his words. I like that. Mama Coco sharply raps Charles on the shoulder. Ow! Ah, Klaus is not going to be happy to be woken up like this. Go on, both of you. The smell of your blood's making me sick. So both of you are in the infirmary, sitting across from each other. Klaus is not saying a word. Checking Jesse for a concussion, making sure that he's okay, and then stitching Waylon back up. It's very quick, very clean. About like an hour passes, so it's like 11-ish by the time you guys are released from Klaus's care. Klaus gets you up. Well, it's been fun. It's nice to see you too, Doc. Picks you both up and like pushes you out. Don't do anything stupid. I swear to God, if I see you in 45 minutes, I'm going to end it all. Good night. It's 10 in the morning. Slams the door. <laughs> you hear muttered Eisen from beyond the door. All right. And Jory's just snickering over down the way. Hey, hey, keep laughing, lad. Those cannons aren't going to clean themselves, Jory. On with you. Aye, sir. Sheepishly goes on and cleans the cannons. And by sheepishly, you mean, like, snickering from behind his hand. <laughs> just every once in a while, he has a, a little flask, and he's just snickering to himself as he's taking a little drink. Oh. Now, Wayland. Dang. What are we doing with that sword? <sighs> oh, yeah, you guys have the sword. I don't think we can just bring it to the meeting. That probably wouldn't go over too well. No. Do you want to drop it off with the Explorer Society? Yeah, actually, I think that that might probably be for the best. I mean, I did lose it the first time, so... I would initially say that it would look bad if we brought it ourselves, because we were already sort of under suspicion. But we do have several witnesses who saw us retrieving it. So there's that. Well, could bring it to them and then have one of them come to the meeting. That's a really solid plan. Get it out of our hands as quickly as we can. Yeah, it's weird because usually you would want the exact opposite, but I think we get as many voices in that room as we possibly can. Anything to keep our names as clear as they can be. Yeah. Who's around? Agnes is around. Agnes, dear. I, Captain. And Agnes comes and she is brushing some soot off of her hands. She must have been cleaning the cannons. What can I do for you? And she stops dead in tracks as though she has been shot and then frozen in place. Her eyes fused to the sword. I'm gonna just kind of shove it behind me. Put myself in between her and the sword. That doesn't seem to placate her at all. In fact, Agnes looks unnatural standing there. There is absolutely no emotion in her. It is as though she is a statue, and her eyes have not blinked. She doesn't even appear to be breathing anymore. Waylon. Yep. Get off the ship. I'm going. 
I take the sword with me. Charles! You pass Charles on the way, and Charles has his own stairs. What's up? What's the matter? Go to Wayland. Get that sword he has to the Explorer Society and make sure one of them takes it to the meeting at noon today at the Bucket of Blood. Aye, sir. And he takes a quick look at Agnes. That's an order, Charles. Go on. Sir. Jesse walks over to Agnes slowly. Good morning, darling. There is no response from Agnes. It is as though she is frozen in place. And we get a split screen down the camera where we watch Wayland walking off the ship and Jesse with Agnes. Agnes? Are you alright? The moment that Wayland's feet leaves the planks and he is on the docks with the sword is when Agnes comes to life again. Her eyes go wide and she begins to shake. Come. Agnes. Why does Wayland have that? How did you get that? Agnes. Why is it here? I know. No, you don't know. You cannot understand. How could you possibly understand? How do I... Agnes. No, listen to me. No sooner do we she unmade lay sundered by the tell with Jig. When our nature meets the end, the banshee rides to tear and rend, and then the circle starts again. Agnes. It's... No. Agnes. I'm sorry. No. I didn't mean to. Puts his hands on her shoulders. Agnes is shaking and hyperventilating and panicking, and you realize that she's having a very real human moment. Because she is not afraid of the sword itself. She is afraid of what the sword can do to her. She is afraid of death. He pulls her into a hug and faces her head the other way out into the water. Shh, shh, shh. Breathe. Breathe, Agnes, breathe. It's okay. Breathe. Tell me you didn't use it. Please. That sword is far away. And it is not being used. Why is it here? Why do we have it? It was stolen from the Explorer Society. We stole it back and we were returning it. Alright. It's going into capable hands. And it's going to help clear our names. Clear our names? Why, what's wrong? What did we do? The Brotherhood seems to think that we stole that along with other artifacts. We are proving to them that we didn't. We need to return it. But we need it for evidence today at the meeting. Jesse, it shouldn't be here. I know. But if it got stolen once, it can get stolen again. I trust me. Jesse, I want to, but I don't know if I can. If someone gets a hold of it and knows what I am, oh, it'll... it'll... Agnes, look at me. She takes a step back and looks at you dead in the eyes, still scared as ever. I promise. When you say those words, there is a flash of chromatic, almost metallic green that flares in her eyes, and all of the human emotions seem to have been put aside for the moment. The pupils of her eyes narrow into cat-like slits as she stares at you. Don't say it unless you mean it. I know. I promise I will do my best to make sure no harm comes of you for as long as I am captain of this ship. And as quickly as it was put aside... Agnes sighs heavily. Smotipi. The color in her eyes returns to its normal shade as they become circles once again. She takes a few more breaths as the panic in her seems to have been killed by the promise you made. I'm all right now. Now, 
Other than that, how's your morning going? Well, sir, all my duties are done, and I was going to go for a swim. Oh. If that's all right by you. Uh, yeah, I... Is that all right by you? It is. I like the water here. Go on. You got an hour. I. Aye, sir. And she takes a step backwards and walks past you. But before she walks up the steps, she stops. Jesse? Aye. Thank you. Not only for just now, but letting me free to do what makes me happy. I think I'm happiest when I'm in the sea. So thanks again. Of course. Agnes, it's nice to hear your voice this much. And then Agnes blushes. There is a tinge of red all across the freckles on her cheeks. I'm getting used to it, too. Good on ya. Talk to you later. And then heads upstairs. And Jory, the whole time, was, like, trying really hard not to eavesdrop, but was also, like, being super obvious about it. Those guns better be clean as fuck, Jory. I swear to the guns. Absolutely. Sorry. I was just making sure that the angle was right on on this one over here. I will drag you off my ship, throw you onto the deck, and ring you like a goddamn bell. (laughs) You know what? I haven't checked. I haven't checked the powder room. I'm going to go check the powder room. (laughs) We're good dads. Hey, Roz. I'm Capitano. Get that boy a fucking leash. <laughs> How long do you want this? <laughs> Not very. Should I put a bell on it too? Yeah. Yeah, get a bell on it. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> oh, shit. Wayland, you step onto the docks and Charles comes after you. To clarify, Wayland isn't directly touching it. He's got a loose piece of leather wrapped around closer to the hilt holding it very gingerly in his hand. Has it gripped tight so that even if somebody tried, wouldn't be able to pull it out of his hand. Oi. (sighs) Looks at the sword, looks at you. So what, is my shit not good enough for you? No, that's not. You know, if you wanted spikes on Grayla, all you had to do was ask. Charles, I don't want anything to do with this blade. And just looks at Charles with intent, not anger. Face, he's very calm to the outside, but being Charles, Charles can see that Wayland has this deep anxiety and anxiousness that is just permeating his entire form right now. A lot of muscles are tensed. Charles was cracking fun at you, but sees your demeanor and your posture. Wayland, you all right? <sighs> walk with me. Let's walk and talk. Charles looks at you, looks at the sword, looks back at you. Do you want me to carry it? No, I no, I got it. I got it. Hey, Wayland, how's Paga feeling right now? Not great. I was just going to ask if, when Charles says, "Would you like me to carry it?" Again, Paga doesn't talk to you at all. There's no words, but there's a feeling of get this fucking thing away from me. Yeah, you know what? Just it takes a moment for Wayland to let go, not because he wants to hold on to it but more of he is trying to force his muscles to unclench. It felt like every fiber of your being was strung taunt. And at any moment, 
especially near this blade, even looking at the blade could have cut them. Every single finger slowly lets it go into Charles's hand. Charles takes it, puts it on his opposite shoulder as he's walking alongside with you, and keeps it out of your view. <sighs> Feeling better? Oh, God. Thank you. You're welcome. Don't grip the guard too tightly. Contrary to popular belief, Wayland, not all fighters are masochists. I, you just worry about you right now. Hi, Charles. How are you? Absolutely fucking great. No, really, tell me how you actually feel. <laughs> no, I actually feel fucking great. Had a good night's sleep. Got to see Charlotte today. Had a good breakfast. Got to sit down and have that rematch with Roz and Chess. That sounds good. Who won? Neither of us. Ah, well... <laughs> the chessboard won. Or the sea won. Oh, no! Do we have one less chessboard now? Is that what you're telling me? Nah, only a few missing pieces. Okay. It's a damn good thing I'm good at Whitland. We'll find you some good wood to replace that with. After we deliver this thing. Hi. So we'll head on to the Explorer Society. If we take a look at maps and go to Aragosta, you guys are docked on that pier on the beach in front of the Bucket of Blood. Down south at the pier next to it, there is a small building with a red roof. Yes, I see it. That's the Explorer Society. As you're walking, Charles is being not very talkative. If you ask him anything, he'll respond, but he's not really starting any conversations. And every once in a while, he shifts his shoulder to adjust the sword, almost as if it's a little heavy. Maybe it's not sitting quite right on his shoulder. And as you're walking, you hear from behind you a panicked voice. Wait for me! Don't go anywhere around me! Wait! Elliot! You see Elliot running as fast as his little feet can, almost nearly falling forward as he trips on a cobblestone. Finally makes it up to you guys, holding his satchel to his chest. <sighs> How many hours of sleep did you get? I got a full 40 minutes. <sighs> Elliot, okay. You're going... I just gotta learn not to argue with you. This, uh, the Explorer uh, Society. Yes. <sighs> That's where I need to go. Oh, God, yeah. it's been a while since you've been back, isn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah, I need to do a, a report. One of those... One of those things. God. Whew! You guys are fast. We're walking at, like, a normal pace. <laughs> Charles literally looks over at you, looks at Elliot, and just shrugs his shoulders and keeps walking. And Elliot walks alongside with you. Does it look like the sword is actively affecting Charles's demeanor? He's more or less like constantly adjusting it. Over time, it's just getting heavier for him to carry. Yeah, I see. Have we asked Elliot about the sword? Nope. I'm going to pick up my gate behind Charles again, but I'm going to hang back just ever so slightly. Elliot, you know anything about that? Uh, about what? You're going to have to be more specific. The sword that Charles is carrying at the moment. Ooh. Looks pointy. Aye, lad, that it does. Very observant. No, seriously. It's wrong. It feels like it shouldn't. It feels like it shouldn't be. It, it looks really heavy. Charles, are you, you got it? Of course I fucking got it. Who do you think you're talking to? Well, well, slow down so that I can look at it a little bit. 
We don't got all day. Hurry up. And Elliot catches up and starts studying it on Charles's back. And every once in a while, he like lean all the way over on one side and then all the way on the other side. He rifles through his satchel and pulls out a couple of notebooks and can't find anything, closes them, puts them away. <sighs> Are you done yet? I haven't really seen anything like this. Well, walk and talk, boy. It's fucking heavy. Do, do we know what it does? Do we know why? Why do we have it? Well, we know it's of unseely make. Hmm. We know it can summon spirits of some sort. Okay, okay. That tracks. And we know that it uses the blood of whoever wields it to power it. Eee, okay. Yeah, it's not great. No, not the best. He's still rifling through his notebook as you're talking. And finally, he finds a, an old tattered book, small little thing. And it's got the Avalonian crest on it. And he opens it and he looks through it real quick. Well, there's really no mention of that sword. There are... So, so you know about the three queens, right? Yeah, I don't have to tell you about the three queens. I know a bit. That wasn't very convincing. No, it wasn't. So there's there's three queens of the she. Oh, yes, 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 of course. I'm not going to say their names because names have power. Nope, that's a very smart move. So we've got the queen of air and darkness. We've got the queen of fire and light. And then we have the queen of water and earth. Mm -hmm. And each of them has a sword. And each of those swords have a name, which I'm not going to repeat because, again, names have power. That sword right there isn't any of those three. Oh, okay. That is not not on any... And then he stops. He stops rifling through his notebooks. He stops walking. Charles. Oh, for fuck's sake. Charles turns around, aggravated. What is it? Elliot looks back up at the sword and looks down at his notes and looks back up at the sword. There's a fourth one, isn't there? There is a fourth sword. It's the one to keep all the other swords in line. According to what I just read, it's held by the Earl King. That's Banshee. B-A-N-S-I-D-H-E. Oh, boy. It doesn't say exactly what the sword is for, but there's a poem here, and... He closes the book, puts it away in his bag, and just shakes his head no. We shouldn't have that. No. Nobody should. Wayland, I, I don't think you're understanding me. It really shouldn't be here. Okay. And Charles finally gets fed up. I fucking know that. I'm trying to get it to the Explorer Society until you kept stopping me. Can we go now? No, 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 you're not, you're not understanding me. And he pushes his glasses back up on his nose. It shouldn't be here. On this side of the gate, Charles. Yes, yes, exactly that. Well, is there a fucking gate nearby? I don't know. You got fucking contacts on the other side? Theoretically, yes. But it wouldn't be a smart idea to bring it back on board the ship. And that's when Charles makes the correlation as to why Agnes looked the way that she did. And he shakes his head no. Psst, what the fuck do I do with it? Do we still bring it to the Explorer Society? What, so it can get stolen again? Let's put it right back where the thieves can get it. <sighs> I... You keep it with me. You have to make your report, right? I do. My report is only for Makaro. It doesn't involve that. All right. For your 
notes, Elliot. We recovered it, and I will tell him how we recovered it, who, okay. who initially had had it. Okay. Uh-huh. And the incident Great. leading up there. Yeah. Uh-huh. I believe the Explorer Society knows that it's missing. I would hope that they know it's missing, unless they intentionally let it go. If you are willing, would you be able to bring this to the parlay noon today? Yeah. That's in, and he looks at the sun, does a couple of quick finger motions, and like licks his lips a little bit. Okay, 40 minutes. That's plenty of time. I can meet you there. Okay. I'm trusting you on this. It's in no better hands. Trust me. I mean, you are trusting me on this, but, you know, Charles, I'll, I'll, I'll take the sword. Hands it to Elliot. Oh, okay, it's a lot heavier than I got. Are we almost at the Explorer Society? You were, yeah. Yeah, okay. Elliot then ducks down a side street. I'm just going to head to my apartment real quick. It's down this way. You have an apartment this whole time? Yeah, where did you think I lived? I don't know. I thought you were sort of based at... Never mind. I didn't put too much thought into it, I guess. The Explorer Society isn't a housing center. It houses artifacts. I'm not an artifact, Wayland. Although, theoretically, all of us are technically artifacts because we're passed down from our... Anyway, I'll see you soon. And Elliot ducks down a side street and disappears. And Charles looks at you. That terrifies me. Which part of it? Because a lot of that terrifies me. The fact that that little squirt is carrying around that dangerous sword all by himself. Nah. I better go make sure he doesn't get lost in his own thoughts again. Keep an eye on him, alright? My eyes aren't as good as yours, but I'll give it the old try, huh? I'll see you soon. And I'll head back. Breakneck sprint back to the ship. Captain, what are you doing? Hanging out in his quarters, writing up a bunch of documents, and maybe trying to ease his mind a little bit by going back and forth between writing some maps. Where's the eye? I'm going to pull the eye out of my pocket, place it on the desk in front of me. It stares at you. It doesn't have an eyelid, so it can't blink, but it doesn't move either. Picks it up and just kind of holds it in his hand. There's a black eye with a red iris. No matter how you move it, it always seems to stare at you. It's kind of like that Mona Lisa eye. It always seems to be staring at you. I'm just going to pull the part of matters out and look at it. Oh, oh. So he just got a look on her face when you said that. Oh boy. Oh no. What the fuck does he see? Which hand are you holding the Heart of Matters with? He's got the Heart of Matters in his left hand, the eye in his right. You don't see anything. It's what you feel as you look through the Heart of Matters at it. You know that feeling when you're doing something you shouldn't be doing and someone is staring at you? That tingling feeling in the back of your head that you're being watched, that somebody definitely clearly is seeing what you're doing right now, you get that feeling. Your right hand lets go of the eye, drops it. It doesn't make a splat noise. It's like a glass eye, and it rolls across the table, and it lands in a crack, and it's still staring at Jesse. And the right hand clenches into a fist and then begins to reach... At your hip, where your hummingbird dagger is? He's going to put the heart of matters away and grab his wrist. That feeling is still there, just minutely, but it's not as intense. 
And then your hand slowly releases and becomes yours again. It's good to see you too. Is it though? <laughs> he picks it back up with his left hand. The eye just continues to stare at you no matter which way you turn it. Where does this come from? Nothing responds to you. Oh, come on. I can play this game too. Come on now. You spend a hero point. You'll get an answer. Yeah, I'll do it. Where did you get this? You look at the eye. The pupil shrinks to nothing. The red encompasses the entire eyeball. So you just have a red sphere now. So you know how when you're looking at something that has a reflection and you can see your own reflection on it, but it's magnified? Mm -hmm. You see that, but instead of seeing yourself, you see a woman wearing a red coat with flaming red hair, studying it. Yes, Pat? For Maurice. Bingo. Bingo bongo. And then the image goes away. Perhaps someone has palmed the whole thing and put it in a pocket. And then the eye returns to black, back into that red iris, and the pupil comes back. And it stares at you again. That's where it came from. From Reese. Oh, boy. He pulls his glove off and places it on the desk. The finger twitches every once in a while. He takes his dagger out, stabs him in the back of the palm onto the desk. The hand does not flinch as though it has been stabbed, and it doesn't feel like you've stabbed a hand. And it goes back to writing. Quick question. Does that motherfucking thing act like a palantir? Or like a scrying eye? We have established that anything you look through the heart of matters can also look and see you. Ooh, spicy. I love it. That's interesting. He goes to knock on Jesse's door, and he stands there for like maybe a good 15 seconds, turns around, and heads to Mama Coco's quarters. Mama Coco's quarters are on the second deck, past Jory and all his cannons, and her door doesn't exist. Well, she doesn't have a door anymore. (laughs) Really hasn't bothered to fix it. Used to. Doesn't. And you can hear her in there. She's on her bed, and she's got almost like giant crochet needles but one is a hook and the other is just a straight needle. And she seems to be sewing a fishing net, humming to herself some little song. Not the song. Nope. Some little song in Haragwan. It's going to knock on the what was once a door frame. Come in. Bereson, do you mind if I talk to you for a second? Uh, not at all. Take a seat. <sighs> How are you doing with all of this? With all of what, Wayland? Oh, you know, just the impending meeting with Queen Bonaventura and Queen Elaine and attempting to stop an oncoming war between two nations. You know, little things. Uh, Where were you in 1659, around springtime? Would have been in Avalon at the time. Well, while you were in Avalon, doing whatever it is that you do over there, probably having tea and biscuits or something, 
<laughs> Haragua had its revolt. We had our own war. All of us slaves rose up, fought against our masters. Seems like a very good reason to start a war. It was. But war is war. The peace that we got, we had to cause a lot of violence. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that we're already on the brink of a war with the ATC. One wrong move on either side cause chaos. It's going to happen all over again. That is a war that is all but inevitable, I feel. I agree with you on that one. There's no getting out of it. Unless by some miracle. But everything between Elaine and Bonaventura is pure misunderstanding. Of course. It's being facilitated by some third party. I know and I have faith that this is going to go well. She uh, puts her needles down in her lap and leans forward. So what are you worried about? I'm worried about facing her. Seeing her again after all this time. Her who? You asked me where I was in 1659. I? I was the captain of a ship called the Nightingale. That's a pretty name. It is. It's a very pretty ship. I love that ship dearly. She... She was one of the primary vessels of the Sea Dogs in Queen Elaine's Navy. She doesn't know that I'm still alive. And I don't think she will for a very long time. Or at all. Ever. Barrison nods her head. And I'm... I very obviously hold loyalties to Queen Bonaventura. I'm a denizen of Argosta. I... She's my queen now, but in some regards, so is Elaine. She's a good queen, Verison. She's an incredible ruler and a powerhouse of an individual, and she will always have my love and my respect. And now I find myself with two rulers that I owe so much to with knives at each other's throats. And somehow I have to play an impartial party and, and try and help prevent that without revealing while lying. Are you really lying, though? Kind of. Can I ask you a question? Sure, yeah. What's your name, boy? Waylon Greywall. Who is the master at arms on La Rosa Blanca? <sighs> Waylon Greywall. And she puts the net off to the side, stands up and walks over to you, puts a hand on your shoulder. And who's going to make the right choice when it all comes down to brass tacks? And a smile slowly creeps across Waylon's face. Waylon Greywall. That's right. There is that acknowledgement before he says it the final time that he sees what she's doing and that he's said his name three times now and he's like, nice. Oh, yeah, you're right, Mom. Thanks. <laughs> this is either super deja vu or we literally did this already. Oh, no. Yeah, this is a deliberate callback by Mama Coco to when they were in the swamp. Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you, Mama Coco. She pats you on the cheek twice. 
Now, I know it's gonna be scary having both of those ladies in the same room. <sighs> you just gotta make sure that the knives aren't pointed at each other and they're not pointed at you, but they get put away. Or, and then she leans in real close. You point them in a direction neither of them saw. I'm gonna go chat with Jesse. We should strategize. If you excuse me, Mama Coco, she reaches up and she grabs a fishing pole up against the ceiling, I guess. Slings a little bag on her hip. I got a date with some waves. If you need me, I'll be at the sixth pier. Jesse knows where that is because that's where he found me. Sort of a quizzical look and he tilts his head and just kind of nods. And then she walks away. And I will head to Jesse's quarters. Jesse, there is a knock at your door. There's no response at first. Captain? Uh, what? Who's there? It's Waylands. May I enter? Yeah, come on in. <sighs> How are you feeling? He looks to his desk. And then looks back to Wayland. Oh. <laughs> That good, huh? Yep. Elliot met up with Charles and I on the way to the Explorer Society. Found out a little bit more about the sword. It's worse than we thought. Worse than we could have imagined. Well, that's great because I learned a little bit about... And he goes to put his hand into his coat pocket and realizes that he has his glove off. Hold on. Holds it open with his stub and like reaches in the left hand and pulls out the eye. Wayland has to bite his knuckle just ever so slightly to stop from chuckling. It still creeps me out. That's never not funny. <laughs> I'm so glad my disability makes you laugh. Anyway. That's not... Oh, well. All right. <laughs> I found out that this... He, like, points the eye to Wayland, even though it's not looking at Wayland. He's not looking at Wayland, no. Jesse, like, turns around. Wayland comes up beside Jesse and looks at the eye. You could see the pupil now. Remember this? That I popped out of Roderick? Mm-hmm. Belongs to the Scarlet Queen herself. Oh, for fuck's sake. What's with all the monarchs lately? That's just a name I gave her. Oh, okay. Well, the sword belongs to the Earl King. That's wonderful. Who the fuck is that? Are they like the Baron of that kind of tea? <laughs> the gray one? Wayland will give a brief description of who the Earl King is. He's the Lord of the Hunt. The Wild Hunt. There is a night in which the Earl King rides into this realm and chooses his prey and his predators to ride with him. So the predators ride with him and hunt, and the prey run. And it is all for the glory of the hunt all across the night sky, there's no discrimination. It doesn't matter what you are, what you do, who you are. If you are chosen as prey, you are prey. If you are chosen as a predator, you ride with the hunt. And if you hear the hunt on the wind, do not call to them. Do not echo their war cries, because that could draw their attention for better or worse. And if you hear their calls, you never run. You are automatically chosen as prey if you do that. Also, never run from anything immortal. It attracts their attention. The Earl King in my lore has enough power on his own to overthrow the queens 
should they get out of line. That's why he carries this sword that can unmake she. It's kind of like a she contingency plan. Exactly. Well, that's just wonderful. That's excellent. It really shouldn't even be on this side of the gate. And how good old Ironbeard got it into his possession is very much a mystery. Gosh, I am so thrilled that it's back with us in our possession. We're in the muck and the mire of that. Nothing's ever simple, is it? It feels like it's getting more complicated by the day, yeah. How are you holding up? There's a certain burden that comes with being a captain that I have come to appreciate. Oh? It's the weight of responsibilities. But oh my god. I'm so tired. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Feels like any moment the world's going to come crashing down. Yeah. Feels like a glass in midair. And any moment it's going to hit the ground. It could bounce or it could shatter, and I'm not really sure which way it's trending at the moment. I've never seen a glass bounce, personally. However, I am I am unconvinced that nothing is possible. Well, you haven't dropped enough glasses. Contrary to how that first meeting went, I think we've stacked our deck this time. Well, and we don't hold any cards. We've got Roderick. Roderick is a liability. We don't know what he's going to do. We can only hope that he does the right thing. Gods know what that is. No. We're going to have Cosette's mom. Also a large liability that could possibly kill Cosette, whether by her hand or by Bonaventura's. Aye. The sword. Is a problem in and of itself. Aye. How many enemies are we going to end up with? Well, we've got Maeve. We've got the entirety of the Red Fleet, it seems. We've got... And he motions with his head to the hand. You know who. Don't forget the ATC. How could I forget the ATC? Oddly enough, they haven't been on the forefront of my mind recently. (laughs) And now it seems we have the Brotherhood. Well, hopefully not for long. Hopefully that's resolved in the next half hour. Also, Queen Elaine and her army. And all of Avalon. Right at our doorstep. Waylon swallows hard at the mention of Queen Elaine and then just kind of steals his resolve a bit. But we just have to convince them that we're not traitors. To either side. If you can rescue someone from the clutches of Jonah's grasp, I think we can convince two heads of state, neither of whom want war, not to start fighting each other. It feels like one step forward, two steps back... That's how it goes sometimes, right? Wayland, it's been 24 years since I've seen my mother. She traded a life for mine, and now she's dying on an island, alone. I'm being controlled, partially, looks down on his hand for his stump, by a man who isn't entirely a man. I don't even know how long I have in the event that he takes over entirely. He's going around taking things for himself. Well, as far as we know, he's got his entire form back and he hasn't taken that back yet. I imagine in Jonah's possession, that's probably just a cute little magic trick. I just want to win for once. But that's not what this is about. No, right now it's not about us, I suppose. 
Maybe you're right. Maybe we have no cards to play. And maybe we just have to keep bluffing until somebody else folds. But if that's the play, then that's the play. Sometimes you're dealt a shitty hand. You can't bet with no cash. And you can't play with no bets. Aye. We do have a bit of an ace in the hole, though. We have someone who can vouch for us, whose authority is sort of undoubtable in this situation. Great. The king of the she. King of the Delworth Tag. And they owe us a favor. The king of potentially marking both of us as traitors. Potentially. I know you want to win. We'll find it somewhere. We're going to save your mum. We're going to save you. And we're going to stop all out war from breaking out between Aragosta and Avalon. We're going to make sure Cosette is safe. We are going to get that blasted, awful, terrible creation of a weapon back across the gate and out of this realm. And we're going to figure out what to do about that. And it'll sort of motion to the eye. And every single ship that's on the other side of it. We can do this, Jesse. We've done so much already. Let's add this to the resume, huh? Fate witches and she and gods. I'm glad Captain Kip isn't here to deal with this. Aye. But we are. And that weight of responsibility falls on us. Not just on you, by the way. I'll say it until I'm blue in the face. I've got your back. And I, yours, of course, as well as the rest of the crew. And the rest of the Republic, for that matter. (laughs) The Rose sails not only in my mother's name and my name and all of our names, but in their name as well. I do what I do because I believe in what I do. What we do. What the Brotherhood does. Hey. Because we're coming out of this, we're not coming out of it alone. (sighs) I wish I had anything else to back it up, but that's the risk. If you and I aren't good at dealing with risks, we should probably find a different profession. Jesse pulls out a pocket watch and opens it up. You have ten minutes to noon. He starts winding it. You've got this, Captain. We both do. We've also got ten minutes. We should go. We should probably start walking. Jesse reaches out and grabs the dagger out of his desk and sheaths it and puts the glove back on. The glove is fine. Of course it is. There's not a damn hole in it. (laughs) Yeah. Waylon shudders just a little bit. (sighs) Sorry. Getting used to it. I'm glad you are. Glad someone is. (laughs) Fuck. Bringing it with us? Uh, no, I'm all set. Good plan. Do I have like a room of treasures? Like a little spot in which I keep all my really interesting stuff? Oh, like your trophies and stuff? Yeah. Sure. I'm going to go digging through that for a lead coffer. You find one. It's a little rusty, but it works. Hinge is still intact. Is there a lock on it? A newer lock, yeah. Sure. And of course, you being a captain, you have keys. The whole ring of them. And I know exactly which key this is for. You unlock it? Did you have anything in it beforehand? And I'll lock it. He takes the eye, twirls it around his hand. For a brief moment, goes for his dagger, 
faintest amount of curiosity just to see if it bleeds. And then he places it inside, closes it, locks it up. And he finds a nice deep spot inside the chest at the foot of his bed. I also would like to remind you that you have a drop of fey blood. Bring this, though. He pulls out the vial. What's that? It belongs to Adra. Ah. It's no ace, but it's something. Leland stares at it for just half a second too long before he shakes himself. <sighs> Another contingency. Do me a favor. Yeah. Don't do anything with that when we have the sword in the room. Sure. Uh, all right. So, let's get going. As they head out. Varison. No answer. She grabbed her fishing rod. She said she's on the sixth pier. <clears throat> Raz. I, Capitano. You have the helm, I guess. He slips down the rope a little bit and catches himself. Do you mean it, Capitano? Oh, fuck me. He lets go of the rope and, like, grabs himself and swings himself down, upside down, like Spider-Man, in front of you. Do you really mean it, Capitano? Raz gets the helm. I'm really close to giving it to Hawthorne, but... You can trust me, Capitano. I won't do anything bad with it, I promise, but I've I've never had the helm before. It gives you a really... Really big grin. Jesse looks to Wayland. I'm sure it'll be fine. And Wayland says to himself, I hope. <laughs> the look on Evan's face right now is excellent. Roz, if you sink my ship, you're buying me a new one. And he puts his hand out. <laughs> and, and upside down, you get Roz's hand and he shakes it. And he holds it very firmly. Uh-huh. Yep. Pull him in, because you have all of the fulcrum. It's the Spider-Man kissed, but it's Jesse just, like, very intently staring at Roz, like, don't you dare destroy my ship. Not a single board will be at the place. We'll be back. Okay. I'll be here. Right where you left her. All right, let's go before I change my mind. You let go, and he swings on a pendulum. Like, not the board out of place. I'll make sure all the sails are ready to go. The ship is in good hands, Capitano. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. By the way, both of you look ravishing today. Thanks, Roz. Thank you, Roz. You're welcome. Enjoy your date. Shut up, Roz. <laughs> Did he just call it a date? How lovely. <sighs> to double date with the queens. And off we go. So, if you don't mind, I would like to exposition this. I had it in my head that the meeting between Elaine and Queen Bonaventura was definitely going to be a fucking risk. There are two powers at play here. Anything you say can potentially fuck it up. Bringing shade into it complicates matters slightly. Having Roderick as a witness and evidence changes the game completely. It changes how this outcome would have been, because it would have just been you two just defending your case. But with this, you guys don't need to roll a sequence or anything like that, because it solves itself. If you feel that strongly about it, I'm okay with that. The whole thing with 
Miss Marisol. That's a risk. Yeah, if I'm spending my favor on it, then yeah, we'll see it. We've had the meeting, and then we're going to bring everybody back aboard the Rose, correct? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Here's the scene. Bucket of Blood, third floor. It's set up much like a trial is. There is an audience, but not very many people are present. There's Queen Bonaventura on one side, and Queen Elaine on the other. And one by one, all of you come up and give your testimony. The camera is revolving around the third floor, sometimes zooming in on certain faces, but we can't hear what's actually being said over the music. This is of course a cinematic trick, because we've already heard it all before. It first begins with Captain Jesse, and then Waylon Greywall, and then the opposition gives their side, which of course is Queen Elaine accusing you of stealing these artifacts. Which brings it to the first incident. The scene with the red ghosts and the sword at the bucket a month ago. Adetokumbo steps forward and gives his testimony. Even Miguel is there, also gives his testimony, which allays you of any suspicion of being thieves of the sword. And then the camera moves to Queen Elaine as she is giving her side of the story, involving the missing she sovereign. And then it transitions over to Shade, as Shade steps forward and gives their testimony, their experience with La Rosa Blanca, and their treatment, which is nothing but high praise from them. Queen Elaine seems placated, but Queen Bonaventura is not, and she stands at the podium once more, accusing Master Greywall of being a spy. At this point is when Roderick is brought in, and all suspicion is allayed when they realize that the spy is not from Avalon, but from Jonah himself. He tells Queen Bonaventura all about how Jonah took what he wanted and forcefully gave this gift to him. Queen Bonaventura is supremely upset by this news. He also drops the information that he happened to see red sails when he came to while he was aboard the Black Freighter. And so, the connection between the Crimson Raiders and Jonah is made. Which then brings it all back to Cosette. She agrees to call her mother, and you all are to meet at La Rosa Blanca. We fast forward to the Rose, in the bilge, where Shade is performing the ritual in order to summon her. Shade steps in, and they're in their human form. Draws three circles and a triskelion in the center, and then a swirl in that center, so everything matches up. They touch it, whisper a few words in a language neither of you can understand, and reaches up in the air, feels around for something, grabs it, and then yanks. Then they step out. Wayland, you slam the bar shut, and then the circle lights up, this brilliant, bright, white light that blinds all of you briefly. And when the light fades, standing in your cell is none other than Michelle Marisot, the butcher of the Atabayan. The first thing that the camera notices is that her back is to us currently. We see a very fine tailored red coat, something that you would find in Montaigne nobility. Covering most of the back of the coat is long cascading brown hair, nearly black in this dim light. And for a while, she stands there, and then slowly turns around. 
not moving her feet as she does so. She simply pivots on very expensive boot heels. The camera is moving from the bottom of the cell up as she turns around. We notice how pristine her leather boots are, all the way up to the knee. Her black slacks are nearly perfect, not a button out of place. The black trim on the coat is meticulous, not a seam frayed or tattered. And it fits her perfectly, outlining her slender physique. Each antiqued bronze button gleams as though it has been polished meticulously. And we pan up to a face that we recognize. Cosette is the spitting image of her mother. However, there are stark differences. There are faint creases at the edge of her lips, indicative of frown lines. And her eyes, which are the color of grass washed with rain, stare down at all those in front of her. The other difference being that Michelle stands at six foot three. And so she has to look down at everyone. Years and years of polite society and politics have carved the porcelain mask on her face. She reveals nothing as she carefully watches her captors. I invoke parley. And you are? I am Captain Jesse Nakansa. Miss Marisot nods her head ever so slightly. Welcome aboard the White Rose. And in the dim light, her lip curls in a faint smirk. The pleasure is all mine. <sighs> Sorry, friends. That's where we have to end it. We'll just have to find out next time exactly what she meant by that. Until then, we'll see you next time, friend. Be safe and well. <laughs>